Sally is going to be so upset when I tell her how good the worship was this morning. The only thing that can compare to that is the love that drives her to say yes when our children want to travel and ask her if they'll keep the kids for the weekend (laughs) at their house. And she said, you're going to come and stay with us, right? I said, well, sort of. (laughs) What does that mean? It means my bed doesn't sleep like their bed, I'm sure. It means I love you and I'm proud of you for staying. It means that on Friday night, I'll take Miller to our house and sleep with him and you'll have Micah. And she said, okay, I understand. Not Saturday night. I said, not Saturday night. I have to sleep Saturday night. I was so tired yesterday, I could hardly hold my eyes open during some meetings here at the church. My grandson wore me out. Last night, Micah wore out Sally. She intended to be here, but I got the text this morning. It was not a good night. (laughs) She was so sweet yesterday. She was adorable, perfectly adorable. Y'all are going to stay here, huh? Okay, I'm going to... Have to turn around Sunday night so y'all are going to be here. So adorable and so laughing and so attention to her papa. That's what happens when I spend time with her. That's what happens when I give her food that her parents won't give her. That's, that's what happens when I pour out toys upon Miller to the ridiculous point. He has almost every turtle in the world and all of their enemies. Although I still have some in a bag at home. On that moment when he's really been good, to just reward him out of love for him. Love is such a precious thing. But Micah struggled with it last night. She wouldn't intend not to love Sally, I'm sure. She just probably wasn't happy. It was, after all, the second night her mama had not been there. And she'd done so well up to that point. I'll pray for better results today. And I'll call and see how she's doing before I go home. I do have meetings here this afternoon and tonight, so I may not make it home. Or I might. Or Sally might threaten me to come home and practice my love. I don't know. I'll be open, sort of. Isn't that the way life kind of is? We're sort of open to the heavens opening wide and to seeing God. We're sort of open to letting our hearts be laid bare before the throne and receiving that very whisper of God into our hearts, aren't we sort of open some of the time to allow God to just come in and just fill us till our hearts swelled? I walked into the sanctuary as they were finishing the last bit of the rehearsal of a new song we sang at the opening part of worship, and I just heard the last kind of chorus of it, and I got so excited. I just loved the words of that song, and then when we sang it, I just I just didn't want them to quit. I almost said, do it again. In fact, I did say, do it again. I almost made them do it again. It was so pretty. I'm sure we'll do it again next week so that we all learn it. (laughs) As we have learned some of the very favorite songs that we sing in this place. But sometimes, sometimes we're not so open. Sometimes we hear what we say and we wonder, how did that come out of my mouth? It was so unloving. Sometimes we feel the whisper of God convicting us of some way we need to love somebody and we manage to overcome it 
with our own agendas, with our own needs, with our own weaknesses. Sometimes we've not lived up to our own standards and we feel the loss of the ability to love because we feel disconnected to the source of that power and love that we know is Jesus Christ. Even though intellectually we know that God forgives us and cleanses us and renews us, that doesn't make it easy to always practice what we know, does it? Last week, I wanted you to leave from here knowing one thing, that God was the origin of love. I did not want you to have any doubt about that. I wanted you to know it. I wanted you to know that the ability that we have to love is directly linked to our ability to receive the love from God and to allow it to invade our hearts and minds. I wanted you to know that that reflection of God that lives inside us is how we truly love in this world. And I wanted you to know some other things I didn't have time to say. So we have part two today. Because God so loved us, because God so loved us, agape, agape, a seldom used Greek word that was transformed by its new use by the Christian community in those early days, to talk about the love of God in a unique and special way, to add to it some depth because it was this word that was so rarely used. This word had has the power of the actions of God through centuries of interaction with his people to inform the hearts and the minds of his children and the history of God's interaction among them. It's such a powerful word because it talks about a love that doesn't, isn't received because of us, but because of who God is. It's a kind of love that we get not because we deserve it, but in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. It is the kind of love that we get that is a selfless kind of love that will go to any length to reach out and express that love in word and deed and action to us, even to the point of giving his son to die for us. An old, old story that every Christian in every church knows. Allow your mind to think about the path of the Christian faith from where it began there in those eastern countries and swiftly went into Europe and how it invaded Europe and became such a powerful expression of the love of God and how it traveled so far throughout Europe and kind of was enculturated into the many different parts of the church through those early centuries. Allow your mind to remember how it skipped across the ocean to the United States and how it became such a founding trait of all of the nation, this nation called America, this United States of America, Allow your mind to then begin to pass on, not only from Europe but from us, as the mission of Christ was expressed through the missionaries who went around the world. And remind yourself to stop and look backward. To look behind the path of the gospel from the, what we now call the Middle East, Middle Eastern areas through Africa to some small extent and then through Europe with great power and influence and then through America and then look back now and you see a church that is so weak in much of Europe. You see what used to be there in the foundation of so many of those European countries that has now become so weak that when the young German student who was living with us in Frisco, I asked her about the church there, 
And I asked her, I remember saying, well, don't you go to church there? And she said, oh, yeah, I go to church there sometimes, but not too often, not, not every week like you do. I said, you don't? No, no. The only people that go every week are the old people, the really old people, the ones who are about to die. I said, well, that's a happy thought. I said, well, why do you think that is? And she said, well, church there is not fun like it is here. I said, fun. Ugh. She said the same thing about our school system, by the way. It's not fun there like it is here. She said, y'all have me so many fun courses. Walmart was fun, too. It had all that stuff, and she loved the word stuff. Daniela, wherever you are, I hope that you, some of what you caught and felt as she was baptized in the church in Frisco there is able to still be communicated to her. I hope that she has found a place where she can worship. America now, we've been so good at passing on the faith. But we're not what we once were, are we? Why is that? That is not what God intended. That is not what God had hoped and dreamed for when Jesus came to the earth. It was not that they, they would find great excitement and the heavens would be opened up and they would believe in God and they would see God's face. And then as the years wore on, that it would ineffectively be passed on to others to the point where some would just say, it's not that important anymore. To where many people who call themselves Christians do not attend worship. To where the things in the scriptures that were meant to be everlasting have becoming, become faint memories in the practice of many people. Why is that? Fortunately for you, you're here today and I'm going to give you the reasons for that. Actually, I'm going to give you the reason. It's not reasons. It's a reason. Aren't you glad you're here now? You'll be so able to share this when you leave here. I want you to get this today because next week I'm embarking on three sermons that are going to lay out for you what I see in our church as far as my vision for our future and how we may go forward. Over three Sundays, yes, I know it's still summer and some of you will be traveling. That's your problem, not mine. God said, do this, I'm going to do it. I'd promised it several months ago, and now it's, it's about ready to come forth, so it begins next week. I can hardly wait for that. But this is even more important than the vision. I want to focus today on verse 16, remind you of what it said in verse 12, just the first part of it. Beginning first when he said, 15, when he said, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God, okay? We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this it says in verse 17, love is perfected with us. Now, Earlier in this passage of scripture, he said at the end of verse 12, and his love is perfected in us. Love that is perfected in us and with us in those two different verses. So the reason, the singular reason why the church and Christianity struggles anywhere at any time 
under any circumstances in any years is simply this. We fail to receive and to pass on the love that God has made available for us through the memory of Jesus Christ. We just fail. We just fail to receive it. And you say, well, what do you mean we fail to receive it? I mean you're a bunch of hardheads. That's what I mean. And you're stubborn. Now, I'm not that way. So it's hard for me to understand stubborn people. But most people are so stubborn and so self-confident that even though when they're saved and they realize that they didn't deserve it, before very many years pass, they kind of begin to believe they do deserve it. They kind of get used to it. You say, well, I would never do that, right? I would never take advantage of my 50-year-old marriage. You say, what do you mean take advantage? You would never assume the other person loves you and quit investing your love back, right? That sure is quiet now. (laughs) You remember how much you loved when you fell in love? We love that term in America. We love to fall in love. We talk a lot more about falling in love than we talk about staying in love. We talk a lot more about falling in love, this emotional kind of genetic predisposition to love another person whose acts and talks and things kind of like we do or feel some need in our life. That becomes a, a love that we want rather than a love that we want to give, right, at that point? You understand that, right? Premarital counseling is such a waste of time. I spend so much time doing it, so I get to say that. You say, why is it such a waste of time? Because they are so in love. They are so in love. Did I say they were so in love? You know, they can't eat, they can't sleep, they they can hardly do anything without thinking about the other person. And whenever I tell them that'll begin to wear off usually, they look at me like, you must be insane. I said, no, I've been married 41 years. (laughs) I have experience. I know how much easier it is to fall in love than how much more difficult it is to be loving 24-7, 30 to 31 days a month, year after year after year. I know how much more difficult it is to love a child when they're 16 than it is when they're six months. (laughs) Yesterday, I got to hold our youngest, Cash, our youngest participant in the church life, His mama was busy with the youth, and I volunteered to hold him. And, and, you know, he was quiet for a good five minutes. And I I thought that was a victory. But then he started to fuss. I think he started to realize I wasn't his mama. And as she said, I think it's time he's ready to eat. I couldn't do that for him. I just couldn't do it. So I gave him back. She took care of that, and he's all happy again. Miracles, how that happens. Give me what I want, and I'm happy. That's kind of like we are as Christians, isn't it? God, give me what I want, and I'm happy camper. This, that's what this is about, isn't it? Christianity, I become a Christian, and then you pour it all into me. And I do, I get wealthy and wise. I get loving. Everybody loves me, and I'm a great person. And, you know, uh, every now and then I believe it, like 24-7. And every now and then I even act like it, like occasionally once a week or something. Uh, we love getting the love from God. What we don't understand sometimes 
is we must work hard at allowing that love to transform us, to change us, to perfect us so that the love that we have in us will be like the love that God has put in there, not like the kind of human love that is so so often misguided and selfish that we often practice. I should, you should all come in and sit behind a screen that nobody can see you because that wouldn't be right. So you should see couples who come in to talk about their marriage. And you know what the problem is? Always, always, every time they come in, you know what the problem is? Somebody or two somebodies have stopped loving the other somebody. The only way love works is when it's reciprocal. And we don't remember that as Christians either. We think once we loved God and said we believed in God, that we kind of have an open trail straight to heaven from that point on, right? We have that open trail to heaven that, that is glorious only to the extent that we continue that love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Only when we're locked into that embrace of God so that it becomes what we think about and what we experience inside us in our heart, mind and heart, only when it's that way are we able to give that love on. Otherwise, it becomes selfish. It takes about 30 minutes to just putrefy. It's like a banana in the hot sun. A banana looks so good. Put it in the hot sun and day, it's just mushy and yeah, it's just no good. And we brought... Two of us bought bananas last week, and it just breaks my heart to watch them wrapping faster than I can eat them. I did my best, trust me. Love is like that. We get it, and it's so beautiful. It's, so, it's a perfect fruit, if you will. The perfect fruit of the Spirit of God that God has planted inside of us until it becomes unattended to, until it ceases to be renewed through relationship. I want to go back to my notes for a minute. We have come to know and have believed that the love of God has for us. We begin to live, the scripture says abide, it means live, to live in that loving relationship with God, and through that love is perfected in us, is what it's really saying there. Love is not perfected any other way. Every time, and it's often, when you forget to allow the love of God to to possess your heart, to possess your thoughts, to guide your mind, you are about to sin. It just happens. And we're good at it. And we're good at being okay with it. Because we know that God forgives our sins. Ha! Thank you. I was worried there for a minute. I thought I was really going to have to change this church thing. That's why a lot of people don't like church. They come to church and you know, they, they know God loves them and they'll have been forgiven. They know they're going to heaven. I don't want to be bothered about telling me to change my life. What does that mean? Well, it means you're going to hell if they don't change their ways is what it means. That's kind of shocking, wasn't it? You say, but they believed. Yeah, they did believe once upon a time in the far, far west. Now they've kind of forgotten about it. Now they've kind of gone back to doing what they want to do. And they think God's so forgiving, God's so loving that his love is not pure. And it is pure. And he will always love you. But you have to receive that love to get the benefits of it. There's a book out with the five languages, five love languages, something like that, written a long time ago. It says that people like to be loved in certain ways. Isn't that nice? Isn't that special? You know, I like 
for babies to love me in certain ways too. But sometimes they spit up on me. Sometimes I get ready to baptize them and they act like little heathens. They scream and they holler, you know, you never know. Yours might be a heathen when you bring your grandchild to me or your child to be baptized. It's okay. Because we're all little heathens on the inside. We're just waiting for the heathen to bust out in us. The only thing that holds back the heathen in us is the God in us. You say, how many times are you going to say that, Doug? I'm going to say it a lot. I'm going to say it for about 10 more minutes. Over and over again. But first, I'm going to get a little more specific with it. A little bit more love of you need to understand. You say, why do I need to understand it? Because if you don't understand it, you're going to miss it. And that would be a shame. God gave his son for our sin and so that we might have a relationship with God. Both those things are true. Remember how you felt when you were saved? I, you know, I had, a, I had a teenage conversion. That's the way my mama believes, so she didn't know to raise me to, to have a gradual transformation. She just said, you'll know when you need to be baptized. I didn't know what that meant until I experienced it. And that was when Brother Johnson, a minister from Oklahoma, a retired pastor, was an evangelist. And he turned that congregation upside down, and I so loved it. I mean, he talked about their every sin and said he didn't care whether they were listening or not. He's just going to say the truth. And I remember him saying distinctly one one night, I don't care whether you like this or not because I'm leaving in two days anyway. I have a pension. And I was was dying laughing. Not a lot of other people were laughing, especially adults. I didn't much care for that. I loved it. Until the night before the last night when he started talking about sin and not loving Jesus and hell in such a way that all of a sudden I, oops, I needed to go down and be saved for who I was. It's important. I thought that was it. I thought I kind of had it at that point. I didn't know I was going to go down about every, every year or two back down there and say it all again. Oh, by the way, I, I'm back. He says, yeah, I know. I've been watching. I'm going to be better. He says, yeah, I know, sort of. It takes a lot of converting for a mind and a heart to really be transformed. Where are you in that process? What you need to know today before you leave is how is this reality experienced and what is this love like? You need to be able to describe it for others and you need to be able to know it for yourself. Remember what I said earlier last week in so many words that God's love is unconditional, it's undeserved, and it's selfless. And it still is. But it's, it's more than that. It's more than an in spite of love. It's also some other things that we don't always understand. And we don't understand that these same things are for us if the love of God is going to be in us. God's love is perfect, passionate, and pursuing. Perfect, passionate, and pursuing. Perfect love is always a process in human beings. It's never a finished work, including even when they're entirely sanctified. The love of God still continues to be learned and understood and practiced at deeper and deeper levels. God's love is perfect in the perfect sense of everything you can think of. It's always timely. Every action is guided by it from the action of God's heart. Everything you see in Scripture has a perfect purpose from God's perspective and is tied to his love. 
Even when he's being holy and righteous, even when his judgment is being sent forth, it has a perfect loving reason at its base. Once you get that, you will quit saying silly things like a young man said to me a few years back who was taking Disciple 1. He said, who told God he could just kill all those people? And I said, who told you you could ask God what he was doing? (laughs) You're not God. He said, yeah, but that's not right. I said, really? Where were you when God made the foundations of the earth? You know the old Job numbers. And he was nowhere, and he still was only partially somewhere. But it was quite a shock to him to think that he wasn't the center of his universe. But I explained it clearly to him. You're not the center of God's universe. You're the creation. He's the creator. Get used to it. That's the first lesson in the first story of the Bible as creation unfolds. God is so perfect that he loves everyone constantly from his being and by his actions. We're not so perfect that we do that, are we? If you are, please stand up. We need to follow you more. We need to hang out with you more. If you've been entirely sanctified, give a testimony now that you're living to it. Stand up and say, everything I do in a perfect way, without error, without fault, is like God's love. Well, you can't say that. If you stand up now, I'm going to convince you you're wrong. You can be perfect only, perfected only so much as human beings can be perfected. You can never be God. You can have, however, as John Wesley put it, The perfect intention to love God and others as you love yourself. You can be perfect in your intention to give God and others your all. You can be perfect in trying to do your best to intentionally love other persons. Everyone, all times and always through your actions and your words. You can be perfect in trying to allow God to transform you every way that God wants to. But you'll never be without fault. You'll never make all right judgments. You'll never be an angel. By the way, people don't become angels when they die and go to heaven. Uh, angels are already created beings. They're already there. To pro- you'll get over that part. You'll die and go to heaven as a resurrected human. That's the best you're going to do. It's at that point you get glorified. That's the good news, all right? When you gl- glorify, then your love for God is perfect and continuous and all-consuming. But as long as you're walking around in this armor, I have a lot of armor. So I tell me you have a lot of armor, too. I don't know why you're laughing. And my armor is relative to your armor. It's all different. God looks at all of us and loves us all. Isn't that cool? Loves every one of us. He sees all the sin. He sees all the junk. He sees all the evil inclinations of our hearts. He sees the thoughts before we voice them. He knows that they're there, and he loves me anyway. When the church of Jesus Christ gets to where they love people in their lives that way, that church will grow because not only will we have a love that is perfect, we will have a love that pursues the lost. Pursues the lost. We are willing to do whatever the lost need for them to be saved. And that is a radical, radical statement for the church of Jesus Christ. Some of our young adults who are under 40 in this world today or practicing faith in new ways. They are defiant toward the church and its traditional stance in so many ways because they have seen the church in so many ways practice more judgment than they have seen the church practice more pursuing, faithful, perfected love. We can be 
the apple on God's tree. We can look inside us and we can be so pure and so loving that God will look at us and he'll just smack his lips thinking about how sweet we are. But unless that apple gets off that tree and is used to plant seed in other places, our love will not be perfected and the church will shrivel up and die. God doesn't want to just save you. God wants to save everyone. And we need to take that stance in our lives constantly as a church. And we do not do it very well. You are an incredible congregation. I'm going to get this off my chest right now. You're incredible on the inside. Your fellowship, amazing. Your discipleship to be modeled after in many ways. Your worship, I don't know if I can ever leave. You may have to bury me. It's just awesome. It's awesome. Your missionary work overseas for the South Congregation, without parallel. How much more time do I have? I'm over time. That's all right. I'm not through. (laughs) We have to finish what God is doing inside us by what we're doing with it here in this city, where you work, where you live, and how you live. There is no reason for a wonderful group of people like you to have any vacant seats in this sanctuary. There's no reason for us to be worshiping once a week. We should be filling this thing up multiple times. Why? Because you are that good on the inside. You're unique. You want to see the heavens lift open. You want to see Jesus, and that's great. You experience it. But people, people, why is that love not Bursting out of us to the people around us. Why is that? If you think I'm going to forget that, you're wrong. I will be saying that until it's a reality here. Or else you call the bishop and say, get rid of this guy. He's playing the same record. Well, you shouldn't have done so well in all those other areas. You know, we got so many things going right that we just got this one thing left to do. I'm not talking about witnessing because of numbers. I'm talking about something else. This love is not only perfect or pursuing, but it's passionate. And it's passionate for others as well as passionate for God. It's passionate for others as well as for God. Being passionately in love with God is beautiful, but if you're not passionately a love to the point it causes you to pursue others, you're missing something there. You say, well, that could consume my whole life. That could become more important than my career. That might even be lifted up as important as me loving my kids and my wife and my parents. Yes. You can't love your parents more than you love your next-door neighbor. I don't care if they're an old you-know-what. you got to love everybody. You don't get to pick and choose who you love. Not if you've got the love of God inside you. When did God ever do that? He said, I love you all the time. All you need to do is love me back, and we'll have this thing going on. And this thing is cool once it gets to going on. But when it's not all the way going on, it's just good. Great is waiting to happen. I love people who are passionate. Stephen, I never can say your last name. Siptak. Thank you. <laughs> Siptak. Stephen's a little crazy. 
And we've all known that as long as we've known Stephen. But Stephen is passionately in love with the people who have not heard about Jesus. So passionately, he's thrown his life into it with abandonment. He has living recklessly in love with God everywhere he goes. And he's, been, he's going around the world. The last time I heard he's in India. I think he's still there. Thailand, Thailand now. See, he moved already. He, he, they had their chance. If they didn't get it, well, that's too bad. You know, because, you know, you got to keep telling everybody. you got to keep moving. Sometimes we, we try to share that love with somebody, and they say, no, and the next time we share it, we're 40 years older. Because after all, I tried it, and it didn't work for me. I don't have that gift. I don't have that talent. You're not telling the truth. I'm sorry. You're just not. Be careful there. You can find another bowl if I knock that off sometime, right? Okay. You need to know that I'm really going over time, and you need to know that I don't have to do that. But I'm not ready to quit yet. Because you see, this kind of love takes over our minds and our heart. It's not just a feeling thing or a feel-good thing, and it's not just a thinking thing or a knowing thing. It is both. It is both. When you can look at someone that doesn't know Jesus and not feel anything, you need to go directly to your closet of prayer and stay there until you have a heart that feels compassion for that person who's lost. You, don't, you can't give up on it. You can't just say, well, you know, really God doesn't love that person either. Because God does. You know that, right? Is there anybody here who doesn't know that God loves everybody? Now, if you're a really, 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 really good Calvinist and you really, really, really believe in double predestination, you don't have to respond. But for the rest of you, does anybody here believe that there's somebody out there that God doesn't love? All right, good. You've got a huge mission field. Because you know that most of the people around you are not going to church and they're not doing the things like we're going to be practicing in this church to give them a heart of love. You can't just get it and leave it alone. And that's where we're going to get structured. We're going to get structured, which I'll begin working on next week, so that we can train the hearts and the minds of people both to understand God and to experience God in relationship. Because if they don't have those two things, we get it all wrong. We get it all wrong. If we begin to do those two things together, then eventually prisons are broken down. For the longest time, I was so in love with my fantasies. And, you know, I only read two kinds of books, really, besides scriptural books and church books. I read westerns, and I read action books. Why? I love the bad people to get wiped out, and I love the good guys to win. You say, well, that's terrible. Yeah, it is kind of bad. I'm praying about it. <laughs> but have you ever read the book of Revelation? Just thought I'd remind you. Just saying. But because of that mentality and because of the family in which I was raised and because I'm a Texan and the culture of being a Texan, we not only believe in capital punishment, we carry it out. Mess with us and you in trouble. Sounds so Texan, doesn't it? Wow, I like to say that. <laughs> it took me a long time until about four or five years ago when God finally said to me,
Those people that you're so willing to give up on because of something they did are my children. Some of them have never known love. Some of them don't have enough capacity intellectually to understand a lot about love, especially when it's not shown. But I still love them. And I get another chance with them, sometimes only in this way. I want them in heaven with me. Yeah, but God, some of those people, they hurt children. They hurt the helpless. They're bad people. Yeah. Some of those people run away while I'm hanging on the cross. Sometimes they act just like you when your words kill me. When your actions bring dishonor to the name you tell people you are. And I still love you. I'm still willing for you to come to heaven. Okay, I'm going to quit. I think I'm done. But you better not be done. Because there's never a time in your life when you need not to be aware of in your head and feeling and experiencing in your heart a perfect, passionate, pursuing love for God that is unconditional, undeserved, and selfless on your part. Only that kind of love is the kind of love that God gives you. Anything else is far short of that. Anything else is far short of that. The good news is God has given us ways to cultivate that love. And the beautiful part about it is I'm only 62. I'm not even 63 yet. I'm close. So I've got another 30, 40 years or 10 or 5 or three days or three hours to keep working on the process of discovering when and how I'm unloving and letting the heart of God become my heart. And I get to keep doing that until the day I die. So some of you more experienced Christians, you may have decided you don't need small groups anymore. You don't really need Sunday school anymore. You're really a good person. You love Jesus. You haven't told anybody in about 10 years, but you still love Jesus. You pray for him all the time, but you haven't really gone next door because, after all, they're so much younger than you. It sounds like you're picking on the old ones. Yeah, I kind of am. Because, after all, you've had the most opportunities to grow more loving. But that doesn't excuse the teenagers. Or the children. I get opportunities to tell your kids, those adorable little children and grandchildren sometimes, that they're acting like little snotty brats. And when I get that opportunity, I take it. I tell them, you're acting like a little snotty brat. What do you mean? I mean, you're being ugly to the person right over there. Oh, 
So what do you do? I don't really like them. So what do you do? Stop it. Yes, and what else do you do? Ask for their forgiveness, maybe? And start treating them differently? I still am learning that lesson. And I'll soon be more experienced. Did I say I was through? Lord God, I don't know what else to say. You're the only one that can inspire, really, people to change their lives. And they're the only ones who can let you do it. So I just pray, Lord, they cooperate with you. Because I know that you want to do it. In them, heart and mind, and through them, words and actions. May it be so today and always, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.